today. You're glad to be here. Say, I'm awake and I'm glad. There you go, Don. So we're a little subdued this morning, and I said, well, they're sleepy. You know, I am too. Sometimes it's good to lay in bed, huh? But a good group finally showed up. We're glad you're here, gang. And I want to encourage you to do two things as we begin. First of all, take your Bible, and I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, okay? Everybody take the greatest hymn book ever written and turn to Philippians chapter 4. And then the second thing I want you to do is I want you to look in your bulletin and pull out a little sheet of paper. Hopefully you got a bulletin and you should have a little sheet of paper. And I want to do something for those of you that maybe are guests or uh, have been backslidden for months and decided to come today. <laughs> we, uh, I'm teasing. We, uh, we're in a little series on peace. And, and so today we're going to kind of uh, take another s- step in our series But I want to do something a little bit different, okay? Uh, I want to take Philippians chapter 4, and I want to give you an introduction. That's why I gave you the little handout. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to keep the handout. uh, Put it in your Bible. Keep it in your Bible, okay? And I'm going to do a little introduction today. I want to kind of break down the text a little bit to you today. And then I'm going on a little bit of a trip. Okay, now I don't want to call it vacation because I hate vacations because when vacations come, everybody leaves and the preacher's left all alone. And so I'm going to be gone, but I don't want to call it a vacation because everyone's going to give me a hard time because I give you a hard time, okay? But I'm going to be gone. But when I get back, okay, we're going to dig into chapter 4 a little bit. I kind of want to break it down a little bit. And, and I tell you, gang, out of all of the chapters in the Bible... I don't know of a better chapter that deals on the subject of peace from a practical perspective than Philippians chapter 4, okay? Now, if you've been with us in our series, the first thing I tried to do is to lay a theological foundation for peace. I think this, that before you can ever get to Philippians chapter 4, you have to deal with Romans chapter 4 and Romans chapter 5. And that's what we've done over the last several weeks, okay? I I think I mentioned to you, I should have, I'm sure I did, that for you to have peace in your life, the first thing that you have to do is have peace with God. That's called relationship peace. And gang, you're not going to have everything that's gone on this week. Did you see the, the stark contrast between a young man that has no peace And then a church that has peace and how they responded in the midst of their hurt, in the midst of their pain, how they responded. They didn't need people from the outside coming in. They didn't need people coming in and stirring up all the junk that gets stirred up. They have God. And see, the fact of the matter is that while Philippians chapter 4 deals in specific areas of us trying to figure out how to have peace in circumstances and relationships. It doesn't happen until you first have theological peace, and that is peace with God. But listen to me for just a moment. Not just this idea that I'm saved. I I have to tell you, in all the years of ministry, I'm so tired of talking to people, and they say, yeah, I'm saved. And they just think that's the panacea to everything, and they say I'm saved, and, and they're going to heaven, and they just rock on through life, and, and they get waylaid in life. 
It's more than just an idea, more than just this uh, uh, saying that I have peace. It's understanding what it means to be saved with the Lord Jesus. You have to understand it more than just head knowledge. You got to understand it in your heart. And when you understand some of the benefits that come with salvation, not just uh, icing on the cake, not just heaven, but right here, right now, as exhibited by those dear people in South Carolina, then you can apply these other areas of peace to your life. And so we kind of discussed some of the benefits in Romans chapter 5. Let me throw them out to you. If you weren't here, I would encourage you to go back and read Romans chapter 5 because it helps so much. The first thing we learned was that we have peace from God's perspective. I shared with you that when you're in a salvation relationship with Christ, then God's wrath is removed and you become reconciled to him as friends. It's a great thing to know that God's peace is given to you, that he has saved you. There's access to God. Oh, beloved, you're immediately in the presence of Christ, presence of God through Christ. This week when you probably, I don't know what you did, but I want to tell you I was heartbroken when I heard about the church and what had happened there. And it, frankly, gang, it can happen to any church at any time. You know why? Because the church doors are always open. See? On a regular Wednesday night, they came in to worship God, to study the Bible. They welcomed a guy who was deranged. And from that, terrible, terrible tragedy ensued. My first thought was, get on your knees. And because of Christ, there's immediate access into his presence. And I pray for our brothers and our sisters in South Carolina. The other benefit we talked about was hope. There's confidence in God. We're secure. We worship in spirit and in truth. Now, beloved, once that is understood in your life, then we can move into the practical areas of our life and get help. Philippians chapter 4 teaches us that we can have peace with others. We're going to be talking about that. We can have peace with ourselves, and we're going to talk about that. Sometimes that's challenging, but we can also have peace in our circumstances, okay? Now, before I walk through the outline with you, before I, actually even before we read our text, I want to give to you what I think the bottom line is in Philippians chapter 4. You'll not see this word, but it's there. And that is the word sufficiency. Sufficiency that is in Jesus Christ alone. In every division of the 13 verses we're going to be exploring, we're going to see that Christ is our sufficiency. And I want to define that term to you. You're not going to look it up in the dictionary and get it. But let me define what sufficiency means, okay? Sufficiency means that Christ is all I want. Now, God may give you some other things, but Christ is all I want. Christ is all I really need, okay? Christ is all I need. And at the end of the day, Christ is all I have. As I wrote those words and and put them down in my notes and all of that, I 
I was thinking about our, our widows and our widowers. Invariably, when I'm thinking about God's peace and perseverance and, and how God's people continue on in the face of adversity, I think of our widows and I think of our widowers. Their lifelong mates are gone. And yet, what did they do? The next Sunday, they're at church. Why? Because they realize that in life, Christ is all they really have. Now, that means that anything else that comes into your life comes as a gift from God to enjoy. Isn't that right? I mean, if Christ is all I have and all I need and all I want, anything else that comes is a gift. A spouse is a gift. Kids are a gift. Grandkids are, even mother-in-laws are gifts to enjoy, okay? If it's something that's not so good, then it's an instrument to drive you to him so that in him you realize that life is in, through, and unto him, okay? And the fact of the matter is, everything and everyone in life might disappoint you, might forsake you, might leave you lonely, wanting and hurting. But Christ will never leave you alone, will never forsake you, and he'll be the one that'll stick with you through every experience that you enter in life. I want to tell you a story. I, we, uh, I don't know if you've read in the paper, but um, a couple weeks ago, a uh, pastor who has roots from Arkansas committed suicide. I don't know if you read it or not. Um, I, I had met him before. He's a great guy as far as I know. Struggled with depression. But he's 67, was 67 years old. I want you to listen to me for a minute. 67 years old. At a time when life should have been working for him. I mean, gang, he, he raised his kids. He, he fought the battles of paying the bills and insurance and, 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 and all of that. He had a, has a wonderful family has wonderful children and what I can gather, wonderful grandchildren. And at a time in his life where there should be so much peace, something went wrong, he committed suicide. The article that I read that, that talked about that said that, that suicide among pastors is rising in, in almost an epidemic. 70% 70 of pastors today are depressed. 70% are burned out. Over 80% say they're lonely. And over 80% say the ministry has negatively affected their family. 1,500 pastors leave the ministry every month. Now, I want you to listen to me. For those who should know better than any... It's just as easy for us as pastors to forget that it is Christ alone. And if it's hard for us to get that in our head, then it must be hard for you to get that in your head. And my, my goal when I get back off my little vacation, my goal is to help you understand that if you're looking for peace from your spouse, it's not going to happen. They're a gift to enjoy, but it's not going to happen. Okay? 
If you're looking for peace from yourself, gang, I want to tell you, I know me. It's not going to happen. I'm the biggest mess up in all the world. And if I have to look to myself to get some kind of purpose and peace in life, it's not going to happen. And if I'm looking to circumstance to provide me what I need to live my life, it's not going to happen. Now, there'll be some circumstances that, that bring me up on the mountain, and, and, and man, that's going to be kind of cool. The view's good up there. Nothing grows up there, but it looks good up there, you see. If I'm looking, and then the next moment, I'm down into a valley, so my, my circumstances go up and down and all around. And if I'm trying to manipulate circumstances to provide me what I need to live my life, it's not going to happen. Christ is the answer to you. And so what we're going to do as we look through the outline this morning, I'm going to give you some of the summary points. When I get back, as we begin to dig out some of the truths, it's all going to be built upon Christ. So let me, let me make a, a kind of a bold statement. If you're not a believer in Christ, if you're not a follower in Christ, or if you're not sure that you're a believer and follower in Christ, then what I have to say to you today, and what I have to say to you when I get back over the next two or three weeks, however long God shakes this out, is not going to be applicable to you. Uh, this is for Christians. Now, if you're not a believer, you're not sure, you need, to, you need to call me or Don or staff. You need to get hold of one of us, and you need to say, I need to talk to you about this thing. Because my life is being rocked. I feel like I'm, in a, in a, in a, I'm, I'm sitting in a, a washing machine going round and round and all around. I need to know that I know that I know who Christ is and who Christ is for me. I need some of this theological peace. I need this relationship peace. And you got to have that before Philippians 4 even makes any kind of sense to you. I'm going on 43 years of marriage. I dated Paula for five years. She'll tell you that it hadn't always been easy. She'll tell you that she can't look to me to be her satisfaction. She knows me too well. I can't, as great as she is, I can't look to her. I can't look to Don. I'm glad Don's here. I love my church. My first thought when, when, when Phil Leinberger killed his uh, killed his self and, and took his life. My my first thought was, man, what's going on in your life? You got Christ. I wonder if he had an Indian Springs to love him. See, I, I have trouble relating to that kind of a bent. Although people struggle with those kind of areas of uh, uh, of, de of depression, but if anybody should, he's a great man. Sixty-seven years he's walked with the Lord. He should know that it can't be a church. And church, you can't be a pastor. Oh, my stars, gang. You, you know, I start off slow and taper right off. It can't be a pastor. There has to be more. And it has to be Christ and, and, and Christ alone. Christ alone is our sufficiency. No others, no self, no circumstance. Even though the Bible will address it and we need to deal with it. We start from the framework of Jesus alone. You understand what I'm saying there? That's crucial to you. Okay? 
Well, let's stand in honor of God's word. Let's read Philippians 4, 1 through 13. And then I want you to keep your little outline, that page in front of you, and I'll walk you through that. And then when I get back, we'll deal with it, okay? Paul's in prison. Now, it's not the deep prison. It's not the dungeon. He's got a lot of liberty. It's almost like a house arrest, okay? But I tell you, Paul knows, by the way, his life is beginning to ebb down. It's beginning to run out. The window's getting narrower, and uh, he knows that soon, okay? Philippians chapter 4. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. My, my, let, me, let me take a side trip. I don't want you to sit down too long and go to sleep. Standing firm may be the number one challenge that you and I have as believers in the next few coming years, okay? If this Supreme Court does what we think this Supreme Court is going to do, it's opening up Pandora's box to religion, to churches that, that may put a lot of pressure on the church to decide whether she really is the church. If pastors are really pastors or just hirelings or if the church is really the church. And, uh, and so the call to us as Christians is to stand firm in the Lord, my beloved, he says. Verse 2, I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggles in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then here's the first summary statement, verse 7. And the peace of God, which passes all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the first little section. Peace with others. Verse 8 and 9 deals peace with self. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. It means to think on these things. Get your mind in gear, okay? The things you have learned, that's a word for the mind, and received and heard and seen in me, practice. That means do these things. And then here's the second summary. And the God of peace will be with you. Verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. 
I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And then here's the third summary statement. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, I pray today as we kind of skim the surface and talk about what our study is going to be like. That you'll help me, God, share what I've studied and, it, and that what I've sh- studied be correct. Because these dear people are worthy and they need it. Because I need it. Because our nation needs it. And so, God, I give you glory for your help today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you. Be seated. If you would, keep your Bible open and keep that little... Um, sheet out in front of you, and let me kind of skim over it for just a few months. I almost told Stu that it's going to be a short sermon, but he wouldn't have believed me, So, uh, but it may be anyway, okay? Well, the question, I guess, is how do you handle life? How do you handle life? Well, look at verse 7 for that summary statement, okay? Let's read it again. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts in, my, in your minds in Christ Jesus. What I said to you earlier, I say again to you, you cannot get peace apart from him. So my call to you is, be careful that you don't look in the wrong places or you don't look to the wrong people, which seems to be what the church does an awful lot today. Gang, you're not going to find peace in the wrong places and you're not going to find peace looking at the wrong people. Paul tells us in this verse that God's peace is divine, it's distinctive, and it's dependable, and we're going to talk about that. Now, what is required of us? Well, if you begin looking in verse 1, I I mentioned to you standing firm, steadfastness. Some theologians would call that perseverance of the saints. There is moments, there are moments in our lives when we have to almost look ourselves in the mirror and decide whether I'm going to stay with this or whether I'm going to chunk it and go and do that. His call to us that there has to be a steadfast... We have to understand who we are and we have to understand who God is. We have to understand that we live by the promises of God, God's plan unfolding and the ultimate promise of God that on his day we will be gathered together with him and all of the saints to worship him in unity. And until that day comes, I am going to stay the course. I'm going to be steadfast. And I don't care what others say. I don't care what the government does. Ronnie Floyd said it so well. The Supreme Court is not the final say in marriage. God is. And so somewhere in this whole process, the church is going to have to decide, is marriage between a man and a woman only? And the answer is yes. And I don't care what that means. I don't care what it costs us. They're talking about how now, if this thing goes through and all this Tommy rot happens, that the church is now going to be taxed. Let them tax us. They're going to take away contribution credit. We'll find out who the real Christians are, huh? You see. There's always been the call to be saved. It was for Paul back then to that church. 
It is to us today to decide whose we really belong to. Steadfast. That's a requirement if we're going to have peace. Verse 2 and 3, single-mindedness. Let me, I want to paint a picture here. This, this blows my mind. When Paul would write a letter, it wasn't that they Xeroxed copies and handed it out to everybody. They, he would write a letter, and they would go to the church, and someone would stand up and read it to the church. Now, now think about that. Paul's, Paul's writing a wonderful letter of encouragement, of joy, and he gets to the end, and he mentions something that the whole church knows about, okay? It would be like Gail and Kathy, who have worked together in the gospel, have labored together in the good news of Jesus Christ, and then all of a sudden, something happened to them, and their relationship is suffering. And there in the midst of the congregation, the reader reads, and tell Gail and Kathy to stop their bickering. And get along. How'd you like for me to say, hey, Gail, Kathy, knock it off, will you? See? Well, that's kind of what the idea He And he's wanting, actually, you'll hear me saying a few, what he's wanting them to know is, hey, it isn't about you. There's something bigger than you. And he mentions the gospel. It's bigger than any of us, right? So it takes a single-mindedness that we focus on what is really the big thing, Okay? And then verse 4 through 6, the call for us is to be selfless, selflessness, you know, be rejoicing, be gentle. Tom, be anxious for nothing. Tom, be anxious for nothing. I seem to be so anxious all the time. We're going on a trip. I start saying vacation, I'm glad I didn't say it. We're going on a trip, and i got to drive to Washington, D.C. I want to tell you, I'm anxious about driving in Washington, D.C. We may pull outside and get a bus and just live in a bus. I don't know. Be anxious for nothing, he says. God's peace, God's peace has to be in him. That's what verse 7 tells us. That's the summary of verse 7, okay? We'll dig it out a little bit, okay? The second summary is verse 9. God's providence is with him. Verse 9 says, the things you've learned, received, heard, seen in me, practice these things. God is peace, so he is with all of his children every moment of every day and every issue of life. If you remember when we were going through Romans 4 and 5, I said to you, nothing, once you become a child of God, it's he becomes uh, the master of your life. You are his responsibility. When my little girl was born, my little boy was born, one of the things that really hit me by seeing that little bundle of flesh was, I am responsible now see i own them they belong to me i'm responsible well when you become a child of god he becomes responsible for you and i mentioned to you that nothing will ever come to you without going through his filter and we looked at job remember job what happened to job god allowed god gave a little bit of nothing comes to you from the enemy that doesn't first come through god's will to you now that may be hard for you to swallow but i'm telling you Whatever Satan does or tries to do to attack you, to ruin you, to destroy you, first must be approved by God. And God has to give him a little bit of leeway there, a little bit of liberty there. See? So what, what's required of us? Well, we got to, first of all, verse 8 tells us we've got to think right. We've got to put our thinking caps on, which means there's got to be a, 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 a discipline of the mind 
that we focus on those things that are right. I don't know about you guys, but I can let one of the areas where Satan really gets me, he gets me thinking about all these monsters under the bed. You remember that as a kid? And I remember mom and dad tell me to go to bed. Mom would turn off the light and scare me half dead. I'd run, jump in the bed because there was something under that bed, you know. Well, I, we can let ourselves imagine monsters everywhere. And so what we do is we take these words, we dig out some of these words, and then we discipline our minds that when fear comes or when anxiety, all the, we, we think of things that are true and honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute. See, that we, we, we discipline our mind to, to do that, and then we take what we know in our mind now that we've got it disciplined, and then we act right. That's what verse 9 says. Gang, I, let me fuss at you. The biggest hit we take as Christians is because the lost world doesn't see us acting right. They see us acting like them, and they know something's not right. And they say, why should I be like them? They're no different than I am. If you're thinking right, then you're going to be acting right. And that's because you're going to be operating with him, dwelling and living. He's comfortable with you. And so verse 9 tells us that God's providence is with us, okay? And then number 3, we'll talk about this probably more than actually number 2. The summaries of verse 13, God's power is through him, through Christ. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, you know this, but apart from Christ, we're powerless. With Christ, we have divine authority. That doesn't make arrogant. That just tells us that we ought to have confidence. Divine authority is from him. So what does that mean? What's required from us? Well, here's what I'm going to tell you in a few weeks. Number one, you have to choose to be content in your crises. All of us have crisis moments, okay? And it's a decision that you, you can panic if you want to. I was on the river this week with a couple friends, and I'd never been on the White River before, and I didn't know what what five generators mean when they're releasing five generators. And, man, we were on that river, and, man, it was like I could think I could have skied just by the pushing of the river, and that scared me half to death, you know? And uh, uh, there wasn't much contentedness, but there was a crisis, you know? <laughs> and I was about to die, you know? You get, he said, hey, when you're in a crisis, you can choose. Or I, I'm going to tell you what I chose. I chose panic. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I was hollering, and my friend Gary Kettles would say, this ain't good. I couldn't get the motor started. Big old rock is in front of us. I took the paddle. You know, when you was a kid, you took a paddle and hit the rock and pushed away. It was going so fast. The, the paddle hit the rock, and it knocked me out of my seat. <laughs> So there wasn't any contentedness. There was all panic, you know. Well, he says in life, in circumstances, choose to be content in crisis. Okay, number two, choose to be confident in circumstances. I'll tell you, beloved, God is in charge of every circumstance. Whatever it is, whatever it is. You know, where's Mark Pruitt? Bless his heart, had another little surgery thing. And the man came through beautifully. God's in control of all that, so we have to be confident that God is in charge of everything in our life, okay? 
And number three, choose to be controlled by Christ. I, the reason that Philippians 4 applies only to Christians is because only Christians have a choice to make every morning. We can put on the Spirit, clothe ourselves. Colossians talks about clothing ourselves with the Spirit. We can put on the Spirit or we can put on the flesh. Okay? Lost people, they don't have that option. They, they live by the flesh. They live by the sin nature. That's all they've got. You and I have the blessed privilege to decide, am I going to walk with God today or am I going to walk with Tom today? Walking with God is a whole lot better for Tom than walking with Tom. Okay? But I've got to choose to let him control me. Now, I want you to notice something that, that blows my mind. Um, in verse 11 and 12, there's a little, and I don't, I'll, I'll flesh it all out for us. But in verse 11 says, I have learned. Verse 12, I know, I know, I have learned. You see that? That's going to be so cool when we look at that. I have learned, which means it's still there. I know, I know, I have learned. It's like a bookend. And we'll talk, I tell, we'll talk about it, okay? Now let me kind of bring it all, all together. I, I think it's going to be a worthy, worthy journey for us. We're going to look at some issues of finding peace in a world of hurt, in the midst of issues in relationship, issues with yourself, issues with circumstances that can be depressing if we don't understand that Christ is our sufficiency, that he is the one that never leaves us and never forsakes us, that always provides for us what we need. And I'm just, I, I don't know, that poor pastor, after all of those wonderful, he pastored at Calvary Baptist Little Rock. Uh, after all those years, somehow he forgot that Christ was all he needed, all he should want, all he ever had. And pastors are forgetting that it's Christ, and they're trying to preach to their people that it's Christ. And without Christ, we have nothing. And so we're going to explore that. Okay, I want to close with a quiet time. If you take your Bible and go with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 11 for just a moment. I, I was uh, studying this week, and I was trying to put all this together. And, uh, the, you know, it was a little uncomfortable for me because it's, this is more of an outline thing. It's not just really a lot of preaching going on. And, and I, I'm in my quiet time. By the way, can I tell you something else? Do you know that the vast majority of preachers today never read the Bible except for when they're studying for a sermon? Gang, they don't have quiet times. They feel nothing but pressure to study and write sermons. I want to say to you, you hear me, I have to have a quiet time. And you have to have a quiet time. And if you don't have a quiet time, then you're, you're, you're giving room to the enemy to get in where he doesn't need to be in. You ought, you, I understand your bit. Rich goes to work early, and some of you go to work real early, and some of you work way late. I don't know what your busy schedule is like, but you've got to decide where in this busyness of life can I carve out five or ten minutes to spend alone with God. And I understand you may not can do it every single day. I can't, okay? But there has to be a, a, a time regularly 
in my life that I don't do anything until I meet with God and, and have a, so he can feed into my, I can't feed to you till I feed myself. Does that make sense? So I just want to admonish you. Uh, if you don't, get started. Because if you don't, you're opening yourself up to attack. Okay? Well, I'm reading through Romans. And Romans 1 through 6. Um, I want to read this and then we're through. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? And, and what, what's going on, he's reminding the Jews that, God, that they're God's people and that God's promises are true. So he said, God hasn't rejected his people. He said, may it never be. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel? And here's what he said. Lord, they've killed your prophets. They've torn down your altars. I alone, alone am left. They're seeking my life. What he was saying is, I'm the only guy left. They're all gone. They've forsaken. They've died. They've been killed. And God, there's nobody left that believes in you but me. And that's the way when you struggle with relationships, self, or circumstance, sometimes that's how you feel. You feel all, these pastors are feeling lonely. I don't know why that is. Why did that happen to them? I, you know, I've got you. And I, I, don't, I don't understand all that. I'll, all I know is that's how Elijah felt. He felt all alone. And, and, and verse 4, but what is the divine response to him? Now, here's what God said to him. Oh, I think, you know, reading into it, Elijah, Elijah, come on, man. You know better than that. I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. It's easy in life to feel rejected. And it's easy in life to feel all alone. And it's easy in life to feel like you're being beat up. But you're never alone if you have peace that comes from God. If his wrath has been removed and you're a believer in Jesus Christ and the blood of Christ covers your sin and you've repented of your sin and by faith you have received Christ as Savior and Lord, you're never alone. And God was simply telling Elijah, oh, come on, Elijah. I understand it's tough. But Elijah, you're never alone. Remember the song we used to sing, Never Alone? No, never alone. Oh, never sounded like that. No, never alone. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. In the midst of all of the pressures of life, you're never alone. You're number one. Well, let's pray. Okay. Dave, Barbara's going to come for a moment. And...